to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, uh, joined today by our General Manager, Tony Anderson. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon. And while we oftentimes bring in guests today, Tony and I are going to tackle a topic on our own. It's something we've been talking a lot about over several years, but um, really think is important right now. And that is uh, how we will build out the renewables that will continue to serve our power supply needs. We live in an amazing time. Technology is really driving this rapid change in all types of industries, and ours is certainly not immune. And when it comes to power supply, we're seeing this tremendous push toward cleaner forms of energy. And what's even more cool is that locally, a lot of our utilities are really leading the way. Consumers Energy kicked off 2018 by announcing plans to generate more than 40% of their energy from renewable sources by 2040. In August, Traverse City Light and Power announced an aggressive renewable energy goal. They hope to be powered by 40% renewable energy by 2025 and 100% renewable energy by 2040. And here at Cherryland, we're already well down that path. We are already powered by almost 20% renewable energy and over 50% carbon-free energy. And we have been um, pretty actively looking for ways to incorporate more renewables into our portfolio. In order for these utilities to meet their goals and for us to continue on the path that we're on, it will require a significant investment in renewable energy. And I think a lot of us agree that that's the direction we need to go, but what's really interesting right now is we're pretty divided over how to get there. So to kind of get us going, Tony, um, I think it's important we acknowledge that we're facing increasing pressure to incentivize local distributed renewable energy. So think small, rooftop, on buildings, that kind of thing. And what we know about those projects is they really benefit private homeowners and businesses because they're the ones who are making back money Mm -hmm. when they sell that power back to their utility. So we're getting this pressure to incentivize that over utility-scale renewable energy systems that are designed to benefit all utility customers at the lowest possible price point. Right. So let's start by talking about kind of what's at stake in this debate over whether or not we're going to build out our renewable supply with these smaller projects versus these utility-scale projects. I think what's at stake is... Are we going to get done? Are we going to meet our, our carbon-free goals? You know, when, when you look back 15, 20 years, we've had net metering for a long time, longer than 15 years now. And originally, up until just a couple of years ago, it was full retail. And so we, we were paying um, the full 10, 12 cents of electricity. Didn't grow it a whole lot. We recently dropped to a wholesale co- uh, cost of power, which is about half of what we were offering, and we're seeing the similar uptake. You know, we really didn't change the the number of systems that were being put in uh, based on price. You know, you, you could argue that in the early days, the 10, 12 cents was necessary because solar was high. The cost of solar was high. Solar has dropped, so we've dropped our price. So it, it, it now makes sense that we should have the similar uptake because I, I believe the numbers are near the same. The local installers will probably argue with that. But what we're seeing after 15 to 20 years is no significant change in the uptake on small-scale solar. Why do you think that is? So, and, and just to put that in perspective for our listeners, today we have less than 100 homes and businesses on our system that own their own um, generally solar. Yeah. Um, and, and size ranging from really, really small, 3 to 5 kW, all the way up to, to quite a bit larger, but still less less than 100. Why do you think that has stayed so steady as opposed to, to growing? Uh, one is cost, and then two is convenience. People like central station electricity because they want to flip a switch and not worry about where it comes from. And when you have solar panels in, on your home and inverters and batteries in your house, you have to care more. You have to 
you have maintenance, you, you just have to pay more attention to it. And people don't want to do that. They want to go to work and come home and have their electricity at the flip of a switch. I know that's true for me. We've, I think we've had, I think I've said this probably on this podcast five times. Like I, I understand that it's, it's cool to have solar panels on your house, but I already, as someone who has now owned, owned my third house, houses are a lot, right? Like there's always something to go mm-hmm. wrong. There's always something that costs something. So to the extent that we can take one part of home ownership and make it really easy for me and make it not bring with it significant maintenance risk or work, it makes me happy because I spend way too much time like weeding my flower beds. The last thing I need is one more thing to have to sure. do. Sure, and, and we're a service economy, you know, so we have a lot of low-income people, middle-income people that don't have the time and the energy to, to mess with solar. You know, the people we see doing it are typically retirees, higher-income people, and the average person just doesn't have the opportunity unless they do uh, community solar. That's the most affordable solar we have. So regardless of the price point or we'll just say the some within like reason some return on investment type of stuff what we really see is just not a huge amount of growth in small scale uh, renewable energy in our system mm-hmm. and at the same time we have this dynamic of of setting these these um, goals we want to get to that require us to expand renewables mu- kind of rapidly so in some ways there's a, a disparity between putting a bunch of attention and time into these small-scale projects that just aren't growing at the pace that we want to be growing mm-hmm. at with our renewables right sure and and we'll hear that it's a price thing but it doesn't sound like it is a price thing well at least not exclusively not not exclusively it's also look at the price of electricity how many rate increases have we had in the last 15 years three to mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I liken it to the, the price of gasoline. We don't get excited about electric cars and higher mileage vehicles when gas is at $2 a gallon. But when it's at $4 a gallon, then, then we get all fired up about it. And I think electricity is the same way. We just don't have a burning incentive to, uh, to go greener because our price is so stable. So, so speaking of prices, one of the things that I think um, it's important for people to understand is that we could have different price structures for our net metering and and small scale projects, right? Mm-hmm. We could we could pay them double if we wanted to, sure. but there's a huge consequence to that because mm-hmm. right now I can go out on the market or at utility scale and buy renewables for four cents, let's say, mm-hmm. and instead I'm going to turn around and buy it from you know this homeowner for fourteen cents. How, you know, there's, exactly. how, do you, how do you justify that back to the people you serve? Yeah, that's a lot of our thought process in changing from full-cost uh, retail net metering to the 5.5 cents avoided cost of wholesale power. Is When I pay you 5.5 cents, I know I can go out there and get a utility-scale project for less than that. Um, so we're still, even though we dropped our price on the net metering, we're still subsidizing what we can do at utility-scale. If we can get it built, which is a later topic for today. And um, for those of you who don't actually participate in our net metering program, when we talk about that 5.6 cents, that's for excess that you don't use in your home and that you sell back to the utility. But anything that someone produces and uses in their home essentially offsets our, our 12 cents. And so there's we're still paying a premium mm-hmm. for everything that they're producing and using in their Absolutely. home. Absolutely. We, we've incentivized them, them to size that sol- home solar system to meet their internal needs and not mm-hmm. put it on the grid, mm-hmm. which is certainly at 12 cents and saves them more money than it would if they put it out on the grid, for sure. So you can't really res- 
responsibly price home-based or little little generation, we'll call it, to, to scale up rapidly. So clearly that's a problem if one of our goals is to scale up rapidly. Obviously, I think all of our, our member members and consumers want to see us do that at the best possible price point. So we can't justify paying 12 cents if we know I can go down the road and purchase off of a major utility scale um, project for four cents mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other piece that I think it's important to talk about is using the grid the way the grid was designed to work. Absolutely. So, and I mean, certainly you can weigh in on this, but from a non-engineering perspective, the grid is, is designed to work really effectively for us to kind of dump large amounts of power in at one point, distribute, transmit it over long distances mm-hmm. into a different service territory, and then from nodes, we drop in a bunch of electricity, take it out to individual homes. But that's not how this distributed grid is going to look. No, not not if we build it on a small scale. We'll we'll have small generation scattered around all over, and people can make a good argument that when we do that, we have less line losses because the grid does have losses. When you put in a wind farm in Indiana or a solar farm downstate in Michigan and and ship it up north to northern Michigan, you're going to have losses on a transmission line. So a lot of the thinking is, well, let's build it all local and reduce those losses. Well, that's all good and fine, but you have to have the grid locally to support it as well. So there's complications either way. So clearly um, there's a lot of different complicated factors involved in thinking through small scale versus large scale. And I think it also it's important to say we're not – it doesn't have to be an either or. I do feel like Cherryland has done a good job of saying we're going to always facilitate – our members meeting whatever their goals mm-hmm. or needs are. And if that is, if it's an important value to them to own something on their own, if they're not like me and they actually do want to do work, um, good. Then we're going to make sure that we are there to engin- you know, engineer their interconnection, not overcharge them for that, give them fair pricing for that, et cetera, et cetera. So facilitate it. But in terms of where we need to focus our attention, probably Absolutely. And, and you've seen a lot of facilitation by the, the co-op in the last five years. When you look at our community solar project of five years ago, and then you look at the buy-all, sell-all, uh, we were talking earlier today, how many megawatts of solar does Cherryland have on its system within its boundaries? A little about, over two? About 2.8 megawatts, yeah. Okay. And how many of that was added in the last two years with the buy-all, sell-all program? 2.4. Yeah. So we made the, a huge jump when we went bigger you know, one megawatt in size with some local installations, then 15 years of net metering on small house-to-house installations. So we've got history shows it's bigger is better, Mm -hmm. and like it or not. And we did that with almost like a market transformation um, initiative. So we did Mm -hmm. still pay up a premium for the buy-all-sell to get up to that that cap that we had set in order to see some for essentially we we pushed some price based momentum into our local market to see some local um, generation sure. sources yeah. build out. Wolverine Power Cooperative said we'll take ten megawatts of solar at ten cents a kilowatt hour, and you guys go out and build it. And we had people go out and build it, and so we reached that ten megawatt cap, mm-hmm. and that was all designed on seeing if we could build it and and push in the market. Had we not pushed that market, we would be, we would have ten megawatts less of solar mm-hmm. in the in the Wolverine footprint. And at the same time, when we look at now, I mean, thinking about the t- the scale of projects we're we're looking at now, we're looking at solar projects that are seventy, eighty, a hundred megawatts. We're we're trying to. 
you can't do that at 10 cents or you well you could right. but it would our members would feel the price shock right. of us doing right. that at 10 cents yeah so it's yep. one thing to, to bring in a few little things at a, a premium but it gets harder the bigger it is yeah, and you, also you, you can't can bypass buy, those yeah, you yeah. can pay a premium for one slice of pizza but if you're going to get the full pizza you're gonna and it's going to be affordable mm-hmm. and who doesn't want more pizza well, exactly <laughs> and that's what we've been looking for so um, I, before we kind of move on and talk about some of the challenges to building at scale, I do want to just say, kind of hit on one more thing about price. We do get a lot of pushback from all different kinds of people in the community who say that we should be willingly paying a premium for all local generation indefinitely. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to that? That, that's a good question. Um, should we should everybody subsidize the, the local generation, small scale local generation? And my response is, it just isn't fair to the people who can't. If that's going to cause me to raise my rates, it's not fair to the average person for me to do that. So I guess my best response is, it fair? Can we keep rates affordable if we do that? If we pay a premium to everybody who wants solar on their house. Is it fair to everybody else who has to pay that premium? And, and we've chosen to say no, and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. You know, as solar has dropped, the prices have dropped. So why does the utility have to keep on subsidizing year after year when everything I read in the paper says solar panel prices are going down? It's cheaper than ever to put in solar. Well, then my subsidy should be less because mm-hmm. that means we've supported the market to a point of uh, sustainability. Yeah, and I think that's really the key point there is we did what we did what we needed to do to help kind of get that that going. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make sense to continue to do it when you don't have to. And that right. is the reality. You don't have to. And right. it's not just about whether there's an actual rate impact to our members. It's about the fact that we're pulling real dollars out of every person we serve's pockets and putting them into one person's pocket. Mm-hmm. And that one person was probably someone who had the ability to pay the upfront capital cost of putting – solar on their home. So it starts to feel really icky when you think about it in those terms. Like if I'm going to walk around to, you know, whatever, the 15 Mm -hmm. homes in this neighborhood across the street here in Grand and pull 50 cents out of all their pockets in order to stick it into the pocket of, we'll say, someone like me who has a good job. Right. right, That's not not how we do things. No, we're a not-for-profit electric cooperative, and it's all about affordability and fairness, and that's what we're trying to stick to. All the while, we're trying to increase our portfolio of renewable energy, which we have a good track record of having done that as well. But it's a constant balancing act, and somebody's not going to be happy all the time, and we've gotten used to that and expect it now. Well, and Tony likes being known as the solar killer in town, so we'll, well continue to yeah. do what we can to build up your reputation. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about kind of what we've already done, and I started by talking a little bit about some of the goals other utilities have set. Um, I'd like to just kind of talk through Cherryland has, and with Wolverine, we have not been ones to say, here's where, here's our goal. We're not yeah, setting right. long-term goals mm-hmm. as opposed to some of these other utilities. Let's talk through. Those are just two different ways of, of approaching this issue. Right. Yeah, we're, we're currently 56% carbon-free. That's a mix of renewables and nuclear and hydro. And for me personally, it's just a frustration when somebody gives me a 2040 goal I can't stand it. I'm sorry. I can't stand it because they're not going to be around to see that goal. You know, our, our goal to, is what can we get done this year and the next five years? 
and certainly we've we've talked about we'd like to be 70% carbon free. So long-term goals they're great PR gimmicks, but show me what you've done and and the and the frustration also is born out of the fact that Traverse City has been touted as a a green community and we have one windmill and one you know, we had one windmill for a long time. Then we we added a, a one megawatt solar array by the windmill, and suddenly we're we're greener than we ever have been. That's 20 years since we put up that one windmill, and you won't find another windmill in our community. So we can't be counted as green. And at, certainly some of that is on Cherryland. We we we've tried to do what we could do with solar, and you can argue that maybe we could have done more. But to think this region is green and to set on our laurels and create bigger goals when we haven't done anything the last 20 years except put up one wind turbine our goal was to be clean clean and renewable 20 years ago and what did we do we put up one windmill over and i don't know how many times i can say that in five minutes but i'm trying <laughs> that my point is it's not good enough and we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about goals and pat each other on the back for goals and that's how to get started and 20 years forward from today we're going to have one windmill and that's just not acceptable so we have to quit talking about goals and talk about getting stuff done. And I just don't see the, the done getting done. Well, and I think that's part of the reason for me, this debate over local versus real actually matters a ton. Right. Because you, I could also put up a huge wind turbine at our office here and do nothing else and probably get more credit for that than the credit we've received for all that we have done to get to having the highest renewable portfolio in the region. But because a lot of our projects are made with cost and scale and thinking on kind of a regional scale, we don't get any, uh, there, there's no attention paid to that. And it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle of this discussion. And then we don't have to do it because we want to get credit for no. it. But it makes, it, it's, it's more so that it's troubling to see the whole region get so hyper-focused on something they can see that they lose sight of actually meeting, making real progress towards oh, yeah. cleaning up our power supply. Yeah, we've gotten more excitement about about 2040 goals than we have about changing our, our zoning and planning so we can cite these projects. Mm -hmm. You know, you can talk about local solar and wind all you want, but we can't build it here. Show me a township that wants, you know, five acres of solar or two wind turbines in that township. And you show me that township and it won't be in northern Michigan. Well, or show me any um, governmental entity that can afford to pay more for power, right? Because that's the other True. piece in this is if if I were to flip all the zoning and siding things on their head and I could put it all into Green Lake Township over here, what, is, what, what does it mean to Green Lake Township's rate payers or taxpayers mm -hmm. if Green Lake Township starts pay, paying two times the going rate for power? Like, that's just, that's just irresponsible, mm -hmm. honestly. But if they had wind turbines in their township, there's some tax benefit to those as well. You know, mm -hmm. townships, they can cut some of their tax burden uh, by having a wind farm or two. And uh, I'm not advocating for huge wind farms in our region. But I am advocating for if you're not going to do it, shut up about it. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're setting unrealistic goals. We're getting the public excited about something that's not going to happen because we don't have the, the wherewithal to, to push uh, for wind turbines in our service territory or in northern Michigan in general. Talk to the environmental groups and, and find me one that's willing to go township to township to advocate for wind turbines or large-scale solar. Mm -hmm. You won't find one. 
So along those lines, I do want to, to very clearly articulate what we're seeing as the biggest challenges to building renewables at scale. So I, I think it's pretty clear where we fall on this. We feel that the best place for utilities to put their time, money, and attention right now is to building renewables mm-hmm. at scale. And we'd like to see more support for that from the environmental community. But what are the barriers that we face right now at building these projects that, you know, I can build it over the course of a year and have it be big enough to power 170,000 homes on renewables? The biggest hurdle is the obvious hurdle. Nobody wants it in their backyard. We can't get it sited. We can't get uh, proper zoning. You know, we're sitting here at 56% carbon free. And we've lost out on two wind projects that would have taken us close to 80% carbon-free. Well, uh, two townships in the Thumb zoned out wind. We lost that wind project. Uh, there's a township up in the UP that they're probably going to vote out wind sometime this spring. And we, we had a shot at getting the output of both of those projects that realistically would have took us very close to 80% carbon-free. So it, it's it's by far siding. Where do we put these? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to look at them. Not in Baraga County, not in the Thumb, not in Lelanau County. You know, so where are they going to be at? Mm-hmm. They're going to be in Indiana or Iowa or somewhere else and coming in on the transmission line. Well, and wind has the, I don't know, I guess the issue of visibility, but in many ways, wind is lower in terms of its land use per output versus solar. So the other interesting kind of fight on the horizon, and I mean, I think you could argue is Mm -hmm. here, is the land use issues with solar. For every megawatt of solar, you need at least five acres. And so it just takes up huge swaths of land. I was reading an article today about a project in Wisconsin um, called their Badger Hollow Project. It's 330 megawatts potentially being built by Invenergy. It would use 2,200 acres of arable land that are currently being farmed mm-hmm. for 1.2 million solar panels, and the whole neighborhood is um, concerned, right. right, about using up this valuable farmland. But to the credit of the farmer who's, who's looking at this, they're saying this is a way better way for us to make money off of this land than using it to produce food. Mm-hmm. But there's this. I think we're starting. We're going to continue to see more and more tension yep. between needing to use this land for farming and. Other absolutely, things. absolutely. We we said that a, a few years ago that that was the coming problem with uh, solar was the amount of land that it takes up. But there's also no environmental groups uh, promoting solar to take up those big chunks of land. They're putting all their money into the let's do one small building, let's do one small roof. And while those are great goals, they don't solve the the long term climate change problem. If you indeed believe in climate change and want to solve it, you can't do it a posted stamp at a time. Mm-hmm. You have to do it on a bigger scale. Yeah, and I just wish more people would, more um, people looking for reasonable solutions would get involved in this discussion mm-hmm. and say, hey, I don't think that I want to see us get there at the most expensive possible way that is going to take the longest possible amount of time. Mm-hmm. But for now, the only people who are really strongly advocating in this space who aren't utilities, which naturally kind of right. plays around with our credibility, um, uh, yeah, are yeah. When solutions are pushing solutions that I don't think get us where we want to go. Yeah, when a utility walks into a, a planning commission meeting in, in the Thumb, and the other people in the room are anti-wind people, the u- utility loses every time. There's nobody on the pro-wind side showing up at these townships where these debates are happening, and th- that's a shame because it's we're not going to get to done. 
unless we have some help, some grassroots help, and it's not there. And that's a frustration as somebody in the utility business. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I had environmentalists beat me upside the head to do more wind and solar, be more renewable. So we've done that. And now I'm the guy who wants to do more, and I'm looking behind my shoulder for help, and it's not there. It's just us. So we're going to get to 2040. I'm going to be an old guy on a rocking chair somewhere, and we're not going to have this problem solved. Traverse City is going to be considered clean and green because we're going to have two solar uh, farms and one windmill, but we will not have solved the problem. We just will have talked a lot and patted ourselves on the back, and that's that's where all the frustration comes from on my part. Well, I am willing to make one commitment to 2040, and that is I will come to your house with our podcast in 2040 and let you say I told you so from your rocking chair. Right. Yeah, I might be around even. Yeah. Well, if we have to move the timeline up a little, we can. Yeah, (laughs) we might have to. But, you know, if if it's a serious problem, we all ought to be fighting for it, and and nobody's fighting for it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's having celebrations about 2040 goals, and nobody's in the trenches doing the work at the townships. Mm-hmm. and that doesn't solve our problem. Yep, yep, it, and it is very, very frustrating. It's frustrating as a utility who's lost out on several projects, and it's frustrating because the longer this takes, potentially the more expensive those projects might be at a later date. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's just frustrating. Right. Uh, so anything else you want to talk about before we flip into fun facts about renewables and scale and oh and I should um, give a, a shout out for those of you listening Tony's got a column coming up in our March issue of the magazine talking more about some of these issues and and just the importance of getting this right well look at our history you know hydropower has been the, the cleanest and the biggest renewable energy uh, invention we, we've ever had. And we've had hydro out west on the Missouri River and, and big rivers and in the Columbia Basin on big rivers for decades, you know, 40 years, I think. And we did that on a big scale because it made sense. We didn't go around and trying to put dams on small streams and little creeks. We, we did it in a big way and it worked well and it's still working well today. So we have a history of doing things on a big scale, and we have a history that shows it works. So why we're trying to undo history, undo what's been successful, and at the same time not accomplishing what everybody wants to get done is, again. Well, and there's a lot at stake in this too because, and this is certainly a podcast topic for another day, but we believe pretty strongly that we're at the kind of beginning of the future of transportation being electric. Mm -hmm. And so to the extent that we bring more and more things that used to be powered by gas or or oil or some other type of fossil fuel over into the electric grid, then the future, they're really, like the pathway to a carbon-free transportation sector is a carbon-free electric sector. And we we believe that we can get there, but our hands are just being tied. Mm -hmm. And that's super frustrating. And, it's, and again, there's only going to be more and more at stake in this because I do believe that we're going to see a growth in electric load as we electrify um, vehicles. Well, yeah, even without electrifying vehicles, we've seen a growth in electric load. You know, uh, the demand for electricity continues to go up. Mm-hmm. Electric vehicles will drive it even farther, 
but the fact is it continues to go up. So the longer we wait to do large-scale renewables, the more we're going to need later. Mm -hmm. Then if we don't build them, what are we going to do? There's going to be gas turbines everywhere. When you talk about local generation, you're going to see gas turbines locally all over the place to support the grid because we won't have the huge coal plants, the huge nuclear plants. None of those will be operating. So how do we keep the lights on? We're, we're limited to the number of energy sources we can have that will keep the lights on. And when we don't build wind, we don't build solar, we're not building any more hydro either. So all our renewable resources in, in the state of Michigan, we're not doing a lot with. You know, they are doing a lot with the wind and solar uh, in other states. But we're not building coal in Michigan either. So what are we left with? We're left with gas turbines. And yes, they're lower in CO2 output than coal, but they're still producing CO2. They're quick and easy to build, and we're putting all our eggs in one basket. So when this old guy's on his rocking chair in 2040, and everybody's bitching about the price of natural gas, that's, I'm going to tell you, I told you so about that too. <laughs> we're going to plan a lot of podcasts for what, 2040. Yeah, well, we, we, we're just limiting our options because no, nobody likes this mm-hmm. one. Nobody likes that one. Let's just talk about these 2040 goals and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, the utilities have to do something, and we're going to be forced to build gas. And then we're going to take the blame for that. And I'm not taking the blame for that. I'm going down kicking and screaming. And that's, this is the kicking and screaming podcast. <laughs> well, that's it's what like, we'll name it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and to your point, and actually my fun fact is kind of about this, but the reality is we are retiring a lot of baseload generation right now and a lot of even some peaking generation. Mm-hmm. And we will be making decisions about what will replace it. And when we make those investments, those Absolutely. are 40-year investments. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't make, the investment in renewables today, that pushes this timeline back quite a bit because oh, yeah. we've now invested in something else. And, and I something think, else is going to be gas. Yep. We have uh, utilities in, in the state of Michigan own 9,000 megawatts of coal. And a lot of that's going away and everybody's celebrating, yay, coal's going away and that's good and fine. But what's going to replace it? Well, can't put solar here, mm-hmm. can't put wind there. Well, I guess I'll put a, you know, I can put a 400 megawatts of gas on a 10 acre parcel and hide it in the woods and go about my business. That's the easy thing to do. So we're being pushed to easy and and we will do that. But in 2040, we'll be heavy on gas. Yep. So along those lines, uh, I think that um, this is not the last time we will talk about this topic. No, I can can rant (laughs) any day you like. Believe me, this is true. Um, But yeah, it's it's an important topic. And I think it's one that... um, I think is one of our goals is just to continue to push that narrative in the community that we we that we can't get too excited about the fluff. We really need to deal with some significant substantive issues about how we're going mm-hmm. to build out our renewable portfolio. And from our perspective, that is going to have to require us getting very serious about um, supporting and building renewables at scale. Right. When somebody says, I have a 2040 goal, ask them what they're building next year and the, what they're building in the next five years. Yeah. And is it significant? And it's going to be very hard to get their one house rooftop at a time. So uh, did you bring a fun fact? I did. Uh, It's from uh, the American Wind Energy Association, 2017 data. The state of South Dakota generates 29% of its electricity with wind. Obviously, they have a good wind resource out there. While Michigan is only at 4%. But in Michigan, we have 1,600 megawatts of wind capacity installed today to meet that 4%. Mm-hmm. 
South Dakota, 977 megawatts of wind to meet their 29%. So what does that tell you? That tells you there's nobody in South Dakota, which I know because I've been there. (laughs) But we have a lot of power needs in Michigan. We have some serious power needs. We have 10 million people in the state, 9 million people in the state. So we have to do wind and solar and renewables on a bigger scale than the state that's the Sahara or the Saudi Arabia of wind because we have more need. And I think that most people living in Michigan want to see us continue to grow um, commercial and industrial and manufacturing jobs in Michigan, and that's only going to require us to meet their demand for electricity. We're a manufacturing state, but that takes a lot of power, so we're going to need a lot of wind and solar if you don't want to build gas. Mm -hmm. Well, my my fun fact kind of goes along with that. So coal consumption in the United States peaked in 2007, all-time highs. In 2018, it had dropped 40%, 44% lower than 2007. It is now offici- officially the lowest it's been in 30 years. So the last time we had this low of coal consumption in the United States was 1979. Right. And we continue to decommission coal at a, at a rapid rate, and um, that makes... And 1979 was about the time that we were told we couldn't burn natural gas and we had to build coal plants. So we did. Good job. Yeah. Now, fast forward 40 years, and it's all about natural gas because nobody wants to build anything else. Can't build anything else. But we we believe that we will continue to push that narrative and that we will get there. And We're um, going to keep trying. We're looking all the time. But somebody asked me just this past weekend, well, what have you got going on in the renewable sector in the state of Michigan? And I looked him in the eye and said, nothing. Mm-hmm. We have no prospects in the state of Michigan today, and that pisses me off. I'm going to let that be our ending. We're pissed. We're not going to be quiet about it. We're going to continue to um, push this forward and, and look for good opportunities to bring renewables to our members in responsible ways. So thank you for joining me to talk about that. Well said.